Hannah Carden. I'm the teaching pastor here at Urban Village Church, and if you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she and her. Would you please join me in a prayer for our scripture and interpretation together this morning? God of power and might, God who helps us to notice what is and to turn towards what might be, be with us this day and this morning and every day of our lives, helping us to know our belovedness, helping us to enter into your peace, helping us to shape your justice in this world and to always follow Christ and become more Christ-like in whatever ways are right in front of us. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts today, O oh God, be yours, be unto you. And if they are not, help us to notice, to turn around and to find you wherever we seek. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That one's not actually from the scripture we just read. It's from the Matthew version of this story. But it is very much John the Baptist vibe. And it's what I think of whenever I think of him. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's what I think of when I think about why John the Baptist is one of the more complicated figures in the Bible for me. He is incredible in his passion. He lives in the wilds and baptizes people in rivers. He responds to Jesus in the womb when he is in Elizabeth and Jesus is in Mary and the two women meet to care for one another. So too does John jump at knowing that Jesus is near. From day one, he is an excited and excitable man who is committed to this Jesus project. But a lot of his words um, carry notes that I have found to be uh, painful or fearful in my everyday life with Christians who I don't know if they are the Christians I want to become or to be. It's a source of tension for me, this repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I hear it in the words of John the Baptist, the one who is passionate and true, but I also hear it in the words of a dozen street preachers who have scared me over the course of my life, telling me that all there is in God is brimstone and hellfire, and the only reason to follow Jesus is because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. I hear some of that in John the Baptist today, you brood of snakes. Go bear the fruits of repentance. And it's a message that I both feel I need to hear more, maybe sometimes a little bit, right? That like things matter. <laughs> Take this seriously. Something big is happening. And it's something that makes me suspicious because I don't think fear is how we change. And I don't think it's the only reason to follow Jesus. And so I'm sitting in my mixed emotions, my mixed feelings, reading this story from Luke of when John the Baptist, before Jesus's baptism, is baptizing the crowds who come to him in his wild wilderness preaching of the kingdom that is to come and of what we need to repent of to get there. And then I read the next part, that after this passion, this conviction, this certainty, this call, to bear better fruit, you snakes. 
what happens next? And what happens next is that the people gathered ask John, okay, how? <laughs> how do we do that? What should we do? What does that mean? And his answers are at once deeply practical, deeply personal, and really, really doable. They are not the asks I would expect of the one who I am afraid will ask too much of me or more than I can give. They are the asks of someone who is saying, look what Jesus has given us the power to do. To the crowds, the most likely to be the poor, the oppressed, those who have been the subjects of empire, when they ask what they should do, John says, if you have two coats, share one. If you have more than you need, give some of it away. Stop hoarding, really, is his answer to these people. And then he moves to the groups who have come out of a miraculous connection to what the message is of this kingdom, but who are closer to empire. The ones you might think are exactly the people John is talking about when he talks about those who are driving us far from the kingdom, who act like snakes, who need to repent, who need to do better. And to the tax collectors, what does he say? Stop cheating people. <laughs> Take only what you are supposed to. Stop cheating. It's not what I would have expected. And then to the soldiers, the fighters for that empire that John is in resistance to, the ones who have perhaps both contributed to the suffering of John and his people more than any other, but also have taken the greatest risk to be near him, to ask anyone but their general, but their emperor, what is it that I should do, is against the law. And when they ask, he says, stop extorting people. No more bribing. No more taking from people what they can't give and what you don't need. Be content with your money with what you have. Just stop hurting. These, it turns out, are what it means to bear fruit worthy of repentance. To repent in a way that the kingdom of heaven might be at hand is simply to stop harming, to stop hurting, to do no more of evil and that which hurts. And it is both at once the simplest ask that could possibly be made of us, the very bare minimum that anyone could ask, and much, much harder than most of us want to admit, to turn away from those things which we know cause pain and to become people who live out simple versions of justice, honesty, kindness, and generosity in the world. We're talking about this because all Lent, we're going to be talking about what it means to change, <laughs> what it means to be made new, what it means to take these baby steps and these big steps towards becoming braver for Christ, becoming more Christ-like and more kingdom-like in what we expect of the world and ourselves in how we enter in to becoming more of what we think God has in store for us and is calling us to be, and doing the actual work that takes, which is often not dramatic or all in one moment, but lifelong and inch by inch, 
tiny changes in habits or within us that bring us closer to integrity with the values we hold and with who we want to be in a world where you're often not <laughs> all that we wish. There's a few reasons that that's what we're talking about. One is that when we did a little survey of the community last fall to ask what you wanted to hear about, what you wanted to be discipled in and share from your own wisdom in small groups and in worship and in all of the places where we try and figure out what's going on with God, the number one thing you all said was how to change our habits and ourselves. What does it mean to change? And what does it mean to change in a healthy way? that is not a rejection and a destruction of all we have been that is rooted in shame and guilt and fear, but to change in the way that Jesus invites us to, which is to turn, to turn around and say, there is more possible here. We can become more fully human, more fully alive and awake to who God is and to God's invitations we can become more filled with grace for ourselves and others and in so doing, change the world as communities and not just as individuals. The second reason we're thinking about that, besides it's what y'all wanted, <laughs> is that Lent is traditionally the season of, of, or in some places, a season of preparation for baptism. There was a tradition in the ancient church that baptisms would take place at Easter the celebration of resurrection we are now counting down to, we are now waiting for. And so during Lent was when you would prepare for Easter through ascetic practices, some of you may have adopted, um, through different forms of fasting or feasting or spiritual practice that might change your soul during this Lenten period, but also through learning, through learning about the story of Jesus Christ and what it means to be a Christian, so that when you got baptized, you would be entering into something um, with some knowledge and expectation of what that might mean for you, of the extraordinary miracle that baptism might be in your life, of the power and the majesty and the awe and the fear that might come with knowing that you were becoming a part of God's family, that you were saying, Jesus Christ, I do want you to make me new and I want something new to happen in my community. And so we want to take this Lent to think about baptism a little bit, which is a kind of transformation, a kind of healthful, joyful, um, deeply joy-filled transformation. Um, and think about the questions that we ask and answer whenever we baptize someone or are baptized. There, those historic questions are questions that many of you were probably asked at your baptism or slightly different versions um, or have answered for someone if you have been at the baptism of a child you loved dearly. And the one we're talking about today is, is really at the end of the day, the one that John the Baptist is asking of the people gathered before him, which is the first, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the powers of evil in this world and repent of your sin? Do you reject harm? Do you want to turn away from evil? Again, it is both the simplest and the hardest ask we may have ever heard. So what does that mean for us now? If we ask the question of God that the crowds asked of John the Baptist, what then should we do? What would it mean for us to take that part of our baptismal covenant seriously? 
What are the things we want to turn away from? What are the things after, um, for me, some of the spiritual experts in our community on change are people who've been in AA or NA um, or who are in recovery from anything and in anything. Um, what folks in recovery spirituality might call a searching inventory of our souls. If we had done a searching inventory of our souls and of our communities, what is it that we would want to turn away from? What evil might there be that we could reject? I um, had an experience where I came face to face with, with what this can mean for us personally, with how hard it can be and how necessary it can be. A few years ago, sitting in my therapist's office, <laughs> I, for many years, have been working with um, different therapists in different cities as I moved around and spiritual directors. Thank God for spiritual directors and for therapists. We've got a long list of both if you're looking for one here in Chicago or wherever you live. Um, and, and we had been working on something that was both a, a part of my um, life and particularly a part of my life and faith and relationship with God, which was my tendency to often be convicted um, that shame and guilt were how I should move through the world. That I was awful, that everything I did was awful, and that I needed to earn my place in God's world by doing something good enough to make up for it. And I was sort of discerning with my therapist that while I had rejected that with the top layer of my brain many years before, I could say that I knew those words were wrong. I hadn't really rejected it in here. <laughs> it was still often how my body and soul operated in the world. If I looked at my choices, if I looked at why I decided to do the things I did, I could see that I was often operating out of that shame still, even if I knew it to not be right. And, and she had worked with me a lot on what it would mean to have a different vision of who God was and who human beings should be, um, helping me realize that those feelings I felt weren't only hurting and killing me, but a lot of the people around me. Because when judgment is the only way that you can see your relationships, turns out other people feel judged too. And. I said to her something that I'm not sure I had even realized until I said it out loud, which was I said, if there are things about myself and the life I've led and the things I've done that I like. <laughs> there are relationships or accomplishments or like things I can think of that I like. And, and I got those through this engine inside of me, the gasoline of which was shame and fear, pushing me on to do more and to work harder. And yes, I see the ways in which those um, stories that I'm telling myself are hurting me, but I'm really scared if I take the gas out of the engine, will the engine go? <laughs> will I do anything? What will life be if I take away this thing that feels like it's been a core component of how I live in the world? Will I just stop? Will I never do anything again? Will I never relate to anyone again? And she said to me, you might not know what the next gas in the engine is. You might not know what comes next, but you have to take out the one that's killing you. And she was right. And I started to do that and my life has changed. I still don't know if I can articulate to you what has come next, but I know that turning away from the things I knew were hurting me and my community and the world was worth it even if I didn't know what would replace them. 
I've thought about that a lot in the last years. I've had conversations with folks in our church community and my family and my friends and my neighbors about prisons, policing, immigration and deportation. Because it seems to me that many of those conversations end up back in this same place of fear of turning away, fear of the consequences of rejection of evil, both the simplest and the hardest act in the world, that I'll be talking to someone and we will understand together the truth that our prison system kills people and hurts people and causes damage and causes overwhelming pain that we imprison more people in the United States um, per capita than any other country in the world. 698 out of every 100,000 people in America are imprisoned. That there are 6 million kids in this country who are separated from their parents by incarceration. That one of the biggest COVID outbreaks here in the city of Chicago was at the Cook County Jail because they refused to just let people go free this last December in pursuit of public health, as well as the health of every individual imprisoned there. And we can name the ways in which this is harm and this is pain and this is rotten, rotten fruit. And then there comes a place where that person or me, I can feel it inside of me sometimes will say, okay, but if we stopped doing that, what would we do instead? We're afraid to let go of the rotten fruit because we don't trust that God will bring joyous, juicy, healthy ones to replace. We're afraid of letting go of the gas of punishment and guilt and individualism and blame because we don't know what gas will come in to replace it. But the invitation and the conviction of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ who he prepared the way for is that that's not a good enough reason to not turn away from evil. That if we find sources of pain and harm and shame in our lives and our souls and our communities and in the world, we can be brave enough, be trusting enough in God and in the promises of the kingdom of heaven that God has told us that it is in fact possible to live in a world that is abundantly enough for everyone, that has enough justice for everyone, that has enough mercy and peace for everyone. You don't have to give up some of that to get what you want. That we have to be trusting enough in those promises to turn away from evil even when we don't know what comes next even when we don't have a set of answers, <laughs> even if we aren't certain about what's right and what's wrong and what might be missing and what might come, that when we see harm, we have to name it. And we have to repent and then see what God will do with us. Because God is a God who we can trust. God is a God who we do love and who does love us. When John the Baptist said in Matthew, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I wonder from these instructions he gives us and from these promises our baptism holds for us, whether he meant it literally. <laughs> Turn around because the kingdom of heaven is in your hands. If you turn 
if you trust, if you try new things, you will continue to fail because guess what? None of us are Jesus. But maybe the kingdom of heaven <laughs> will become alive in our hands if we choose to believe that it can. The kingdom of heaven will become alive in our communities and states if we turn away from the ways that yes, are well-trod, yes, are familiar, but we know are racist, painful, and death-dealing. We can be brave, we can repent, and we can do it inch by inch, however it comes together. So let's celebrate that this Lent and see what else it might mean for us to be transformed by the God of miracles, the God of the kingdom of heaven, and the God who loves us deeply enough for that love to transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.